0: live. My guest today is Tom Welch who's a physician and an outdoor educator. I've heard Dr. Welch speak several times most recently about bear safety in the wilderness. He's a great speaker with a lot of knowledge and since most of the people listening to this podcast will be outdoors in bear country sooner or later, I thought that topic would be of interest to my listeners. So first Tom, can you tell us something about your background?
1: Sure, Eva, I'd be glad to. Um, as you say, my uh, day job is as a physician. Uh, I'm a pediatrician at the Galisano Children's Hospital uh, here in Syracuse. Um, but for decades, I've been an outdoor educator and a guide. Uh, I have uh, guided folks in uh, Montana, in Alaska, as well as in the Adirondacks. Uh, I'm an instructor for the Wilderness uh, Education Association. Uh, and in that context, I've taken groups on two- and three-week uh, field trips in the Alaskan tundra. So I have quite a bit of outdoor education experience. And since that's an area that's uh, very heavily occupied or really is the home territory to grizzly uh I've obviously been forced to be comfortable in living in as a guest in their environment and so that's uh, sort of my background there uh, interestingly people have asked me including at this recent wilderness medicine conference about the medical aspects of bear safety uh, and to be candid if one is involved in an unpleasant encounter with a bear um whether you live or die probably has nothing to do with first aid. It's just going to be a function of how bad the injury was. So as in anything with medicine, the best treatment of uh, bear injuries is to conduct yourself in such a way that they don't happen in the first place.
0: Yeah, and I personally spent very little time in areas with grizzly bears. I visited Montana and Wyoming briefly um, and so I don't have any experience with grizzlies, but I certainly have encountered black bears in the Northeast. So what are some ways that black bears and grizzly bears are different?
1: Well, I think you have to realize that their differences are largely a function of evolution in the areas in which they uh, they evolved. Um, grizzlies, uh, as you know from the time that you've been in Montana, uh, inhabit in general very large open spaces. Um, There are very few places that grizzlies can get to hide. Uh, So the behavior of grizzlies uh, is really one of running and covering large areas. Uh, On the other hand, black bears uh, grew up and evolved in the forests of the northeast and the pacific northwest and some areas such as that Um, so black bears are creatures of the forest Uh, they're used to getting down into the brush and hiding themselves there uh they're the tree climbers Uh, black bears are notoriously uh, competent tree climbers uh grizzlies would have no idea how to climb a tree because basically they didn't grow up around them
0: okay and if you're looking at a bear how might they look differently
1: Well, that's a a very good question because, uh, of course, in uh, New York State, you don't have to worry if you see a bear, it's a black bear. Uh, But there are many areas, such as Montana and Alaska, uh, where black bear and grizzly bear coexist. Uh, And it's actually quite easy to mistake them. In fact, one of the major problems that this creates uh, is that hunters that are out hunting uh, black bear wind up killing grizzlies, uh, mistaking them for black bear. Uh, So color is not really the defining characteristic. Uh, The best characteristic, and this is an important one because you can appreciate it from a difference, uh, is silhouette. Uh, If you look at a bear sideways, uh, a grizzly is always going to have higher shoulders than rump. So the pattern of a grizzly uh, is for the shoulders. If you look at the back, uh, to be uh, quite a bit higher. Uh, the, or I'm mean, sorry, if you look at them from the side, the shoulders are going to be higher than the rump area. Um, especially a little bit later on, after a little bit later on in the season, after the grizzlies have been eating quite a bit and storing fat, they're also going to have a very prominent hump, uh, which is actually a hump of fat. Uh, over their shoulders. So in profile, grizzly has a very, very high shoulder. Uh, that's probably the the main defining characteristic that you see in, uh, in looking at them. Uh, grizzly bears also tend to have, if you look at their face in profile, uh, kind of a dish shape. The uh, area between the snout and the eyes uh, is kind of uh, concave uh, with black bear, that's a, a little bit straight. But clearly the profile from the side is the best way to distinguish them. And and again, color doesn't do it. We call them sometimes black bear and brown bear, uh, but there are certainly times when black bear can have kind of a cinnamon color to them. And <clears throat> similarly, some grizzlies can look pretty dark.
0: Mm-hmm. So now that um, somebody decides they're going to go out for a hike, what are some ways that, or you know, they're bringing their dog out in the woods, whatever. If you're walking out in the woods, what are some ways to hike safely? Yeah. Well, I, I think the
1: first thing to keep in mind is that for neither black bear or grizzly bear uh, are humans a preferred source of food. So you really don't have to worry going out in bear country uh, that a bear is going to look at you as lunch. Uh, Neither black bears nor grizzly bears have evolved in such a way that they are likely to consider humans um, prey to uh, to consume for energy. Uh, both black bears and grizzly bears are omnivores. They basically eat anything that's available, from small mammals to larger mammals to berries to plants. Uh, they really spend an enormous amount of time eating, and frankly, <clears throat> the trouble of going after a human is probably not worth it. Uh, so they just from an evolutionary standpoint, uh, have not been designed to go after humans. That being said, they're also very protective animals. So the time that you're going to have an unpleasant encounter, especially with a grizzly, Uh, is not when the grizzly is hungry and sees you as lunch uh, but rather when the grizzly is surprised, uh, is frightened by your sudden appearance, uh, or in particular is frightened for her cubs if it's a mother that one finds. So the first thing to keep in mind is that when you're hiking in grizzly territory um, you're not going to be seen as lunch but you may be seen as a threat. So the, the next step in that when you're trying to decide how to be safe Uh, is to make sure that any animal around you is well aware of your presence before you get close enough to the animal that the animal feels frightened. So there are several ways in doing that. Uh, The first is to be in large groups. There has never been uh, a fatal grizzly encounter in including a a, a group of five or more individuals. That just doesn't happen. And it's not because five people are enough to scare the bear off. It's because five people or more tend to make enough noise so that a random encounter between a grizzly and a human is not going to happen. So most of the serious grizzly incidents, if you read about them in Alaska or Montana, uh, involve single people. In Alaska, for example, a notorious one is a fisherman uh, who's uh, been in the, in the woods, maybe doing some salmon fishing, uh, and then is walking by himself uh, back to camp. So um, the odor of the fish is going to be very prominent. Uh, being by himself, the fisherman is not giving off uh, signals that the bear may recognize. So the possibility of an unexpected encounter there is very big. So when you're traveling, <clears throat> make sure that you're in a large enough group that the bear is going to be aware of you. Now, there are a number of ways and times that you should Actually, make noise. Uh, I think we can set aside the uh, old thing about bear bells. There's really nothing related to any noise maker that one can carry that uh, makes you any more likely to be seen. Uh, but simply, the noise of conversation is usually sufficient. And you want to do that in particular if you're traveling through a, a, an area where there's dense vegetation. So, for example, if you're walking on the tundra, where there are 360-degree views that are unobstructed, it's uh, almost impossible for a grizzly to come upon you accidentally. Uh, You're going to see the bear, and the bear is going to see you at a significant distance. The danger is if you're by a stream or walking by a thicket of alder or some other plants, um, where the grizzly may be unaware of your presence. So that's the time you want to make noise. And what I usually uh, encourage my groups to do when we're hiking in areas like that. Uh, when they come to a place where they could be <coughs> obscured by vegetation, start clapping hands, singing songs, shouting out, hey, bear, something like that?
0: Yeah, one of the, when I hiked this past summer on the Appalachian Trail, one of the people I met up with had um, had a job, um, kind of biological field job in grizzly bear country, uh, can't remember which state she was in, but she talked about how she and her coworkers made up a lot of songs that they just changed the lyrics to basically be saying, Okay, bear, we're here. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Don't bother yeah, us
1: that's that's exactly what I encourage my groups to do, although I, I will tell you, because I, I take a lot of young people on trips too, so um, sometimes that gets to be a little annoying, but uh, <laughs> uh, it uh, it certainly is a good way of doing it. And again, remember, <clears throat> the time to do that is when you're in an area of dense vegetation. If you're in the big open tundra, you don't need to worry so much about making noise.
0: And you know, once you've been out <laughs> camping and if you decide you're spending the night in the wilderness, how should you select your campsite?
1: Sure, well, that's a a very important point, and that's something that in my wilderness classes I spend quite a bit of time on. Um, It's important to recognize that the first thing is to be seen. So, (coughs) excuse me, it's winter in Syracuse. Uh, So, it's important to be seen. So, your campsite uh, should be in a nice open area of the tundra with uh, 360 degree views. The other thing to remember is that you want to very thoughtfully lay out your campsite uh, so that there are three specific components to it. Uh, The first of the components is the place where you're going to be sleeping, your tents. So the tents will be arranged in a straight line. Uh, You don't want to get tents in a circle. Uh, The reason for that is if a bear happens to wander into your tent site uh, and all of a sudden realize that uh, she is surrounded, um, you're going to have a bear that's become very frightened. So the recommendation is to put your tents up linearly uh, in the tent site that you're having. Um, So that tent site uh, is basically for sleeping. Uh, The tent site is not a place to have any food, even a night snack or coffee. We're really very strict that the tent site should have absolutely no potential food odors. Uh, So that means uh, not taking a couple granola bars into your sleeping bag. That means not going back to your uh, tent to have your morning cup of coffee. The tent area should not have anything in it uh, that could stimulate the smells that might get a bear interested and want to visit you. Um, The second area that you're going to have is your food preparation and eating area. Um, This is an area that's going to be downwind from your tent so that the smell of foods are not going to be blowing toward your tent. Um, And this is where you're going to keep your camp stoves, it's where you're going to keep your uh, pots and pans, Um, it's where you're going to prepare uh, and eat your meals. Uh, So when it comes time for dinner, everyone goes over to the cook area, uh, fires up the stoves, brings in the water, fixes the meal, consumes it there, and cleans up. And that's the end of the meal, Uh, no taking any snacks or dessert back to the tent. And then the final place, the final of the three areas of the campsite uh, is the food storage area. Uh, The food storage area is separate from the cooking area. Uh, And the reason for that is if a, a grizzly or other bear is attracted by the smell of your food that happens to be in your cook area and starts nosing around there, if you haven't stored or left any food there's going to be no reward for following that smell so the bear may well be attracted to your cook area because you were cooking food there and you were eating and you may have even spilled something Uh, but if your food is not being stored there uh, the grizzly will not or the black bear for that matter um, will not get any food reward for following that smell so the food storage area is remote from the tent and it's remote from the cooking area Um, And it contains your food in secure, uh, bear-proof containers. Uh, And of course, in the Adirondacks, the requirement to protect your food from black bear uh, is one of these uh, tough plastic uh, bear canisters, uh, which are really phenomenal tools uh, that allow you to keep your food in a in a in a material in a substance uh, that basically the bear is not going to be able to break into. So, separate place to sleep separate place to cook, separate place to store your food. And then the final thing about storing food that's important uh, is that while it is the requirement in most areas of the Adirondacks to use bear canisters, um, when you're taking a trip of more than a few days into grizzly country, um, it actually is impossible to use bear canisters. It's uh, Depending upon your personal food preferences and how you pack, you generally cannot get much more than five or six days worth of food for one person into a bear canister. Because remember, it's not just the uh, food, but it's the leftovers that are going to go in there too. You've got to store those as well. So if you're going to be taking a trip as we do in the in Alaska for more than a couple of weeks, there's simply no way <coughs> that bear canisters are going to be a practical way of bringing that, uh, that food along. Uh, Bear canisters will pretty much fill uh, a standard size uh, uh, backpack. Uh, They're not compressible, obviously, so in a trip of a couple weeks, you'd actually need a couple of bear canisters, and that would virtually leave no room for anything else. Um, So in long trips in bear country, the option that's uh, being used now and I've employed for, for several years now are bear fences. Uh, And these are actually portable electric fences uh, that break down. You can put them in your pack. They have three major components. They're the uh, poles, uh, which are basically like little landscaping poles that uh, uh, you stick into the ground. Um, The generator, uh, which is a source of electricity, either solar-powered or battery-powered. Um, and the wires to uh, put around it. I usually uh, divide that up between three people in the group. So somebody carries the pole, somebody carries the generator, somebody carries the uh, wire. Um, You set that up in the area where you're going to do food storage, uh, and then you put your food within it. Um, This has been used by the U.S. Forest Service, and it's now... Fairly standard in uh, heavily uh, grizzly uh, uh, traveled areas. Uh, the National Outdoor Leadership School, for example, Knowles, has been using these in the Wind River Range in uh, Wyoming for many years. As I said, I've been using them in Alaska for quite a while. So uh, bear canisters for short trips, uh, electric bear fences for longer trips. Uh, As far as New Yorkers are concerned, um, I don't believe, in fact, I'm fairly certain that bear fences are not considered by conservation law in New York to be be appropriate. So you could probably get in a little trouble for using them in New York. But certainly in grizzly territory for long trips, that's the only answer.
0: And I've kind of, you know, toyed with in my brain what's the best place when you're hiking, like something on the Appalachian Trail, and there's lean-tos along the way. And of course, you're encouraged to use the lean-to area to minimize um, the impact of so many people in the wilderness by having people, you know, camping in one place. But on the other hand, I know that. Uh, it doesn't matter how careful I am, people that have been there before me have not been careful about food storage um so i don't you know I've toyed with Is it really better to stay in the lean tos or is it better to uh, to find what they call a stealth camping site sure. where
1: yeah well, let me speak to that in two ways because this actually <coughs> brings in <coughs> two separate issues in outdoor education, the issue of bear safety but also the issue of Leave No Trace. Uh, And as you know, and you alluded to this by talking about lean-tos, the principle of Leave No Trace uh, is that when one is camping or traveling in highly impacted areas, you concentrate that impact. And certainly... Uh, to be candid, I would consider the entire Appalachian Trail to be a heavily impacted area. I and definitely I, would, would agree I, with that. I think even getting away from a lean-to to a remote site, um, the chances that you're the only person that's ever used that site pretty, are, are really pretty, pretty, pretty low. low. Uh, on the other hand, in the in the wilderness, uh, uh, there are pristine areas, and and you know I have certainly camped in areas where I'm quite confident that nobody has has been. We're are. Tundra trips are off trail uh, you know using map and compass navigation, so we're in spots that are really uh, quite spread out, so the likelihood of coming across a bear that's habituated to humans. Uh, in an area like that, is very small. On the other hand, uh, the Appalachian Trail, uh, most of the areas in the high peaks of the Adirondacks, um, human usage has been so heavy there, the area is so impacted, uh, that there certainly are going to be a lot of bears who have had previous experience with humans. And, um, you know, I, I think my preference, if I were spending time on the AT, uh, as much as I might not enjoy the aesthetics of staying in lean-tos, I think I would restrict my my activity to there.
0: Yeah, that's what I I tried to do, Um, although I did spend a fair amount of time trying to educate people, sometimes successfully and sometimes not, Um, and as far as, um, you know, you're out in the woods, you're out in the wilderness, and you see a bear, what should you do next?
1: Yeah, so um, I think a couple of things related to that, and uh, there are some differences that I'll tell you in a second between what you do with black bear and grizzly, uh, but there are some things that apply to both. Um, So the first thing that you have to do is if you see the bear, make sure the bear also sees you. Um, David Smith, who writes a a terrific book on on bear safety, uh, talks about what he calls the magic circle. And the magic circle is this kind of imaginary line surrounding a bear that if someone gets within that magic circle is going to trigger uh, a a sense of fright in the bear. So uh, making sure that not only you see the bear, but the bear sees you, uh, is really the very first thing that needs to be done. Uh, The second thing, once you're sure that the bear uh, has seen you, uh, is to make sure, again, you're hopefully traveling in a large group, uh, that everybody gets together uh, and basically makes themselves uh, look big. Uh, you know, sticking your backpack up so it really is uh, above your head a little bit. Uh, but otherwise, just looking like uh, a large collection of fairly good-sized animals, um, and then just stand there uh, and observe the bear. And under most circumstances, uh, in a situation like that. Uh, when the bear sees you, sees that you're not moving, uh, sees that you look pretty big and you're not already within that bear's magic circle, uh, then the bear is probably going to just uh, wander away. Um, What you want to avoid in a situation like that, as hard as it may be, uh, is the natural tendency when you see a bear in that situation to turn around and run. Uh, Remember that grizzlies have been clocked at over 30 miles an hour, (laughs) so there's obviously no way one is going to outrun a grizzly and there's some suggestion although this is obviously data that would be very hard to collect with any accuracy, but there's some suggestion that by turning and running, uh, you may set off a predatory impulse uh, in the bear that may not have been there in the first place uh, and lead to the likelihood of the bear chasing you. But uh, since bears in general want to avoid uh, human contact, uh, if you see them, they see you, stand in one place, uh, look large, number of people, chances are the bear is just going to wind up leaving you. When uh, you're dealing with uh, grizzlies who, for some reason or another, uh, actually begin to approach you, uh, again, the recommendation is not to turn and run, uh, but to actually stand your ground. I hate to use that politically uh, uh, (laughs) difficult uh, term, but uh, that's the appropriate thing with uh, grizzlies. It's been well described that uh, uh, many seeming attacks by grizzlies uh, don't culminate. A bear can actually run toward you and then veer off or then stop. So trying to stay in one position is important. Uh, And finally, with grizzly, the recommendation is if you actually do get physical contact or the animal gets up to you to make physical contact, uh, grizzlies are the one animal in which uh, playing dead Uh, is an appropriate thing to do. Uh, Grizzlies will virtually never see you as prey uh, and if you are lying down uh, on your belly backpack over the back of your head, uh, arms tucked under your body, uh, may sniff at you and poke at you a little bit, uh, but it's probably not going to do much more than that. And again, there haven't been controlled trials that have shown that, but uh, interviews with people who have uh, come across grizzlies have shown that that's the the case. Now with black bear, it's a little different story. Um, With black bear, uh, many of them, again, are human habituated, uh, you know, so-called nuisance bears. Uh, and if a black bear begins to confront you at your campsite, uh, the recommendation is that you actually can uh, make noise, throw things, not necessarily trying to injure the bear, but just uh, throwing some stones or rocks that might get close to him, uh, to make it an uncomfortable situation that the bear is likely to uh, to walk away from. Human attacks by black bears <clears throat> are extraordinarily unusual. They They do happen, but they are extraordinarily unusual. Sometimes they're actually predatory attacks. The only bear fatality in New York State uh, was actually a a bear that consumed uh, an infant that was in a uh, a stroller. Uh, Obviously that infant was not presenting any threat to the bear, so the likelihood is the bear was actually using that uh, uh, child as uh, as prey. So for that reason um, the recommendation of a black bear attacks uh, is not to play dead but believe it or not to actually fight uh, and that uh, black bears have uh, been repelled by people that have, have fought, have thrown things, uh, have uh, really stood their, stood their ground in more ways than one. <coughs> the last thing I should say something about is the use of bear spray. Uh, Bear spray is uh, uh, basically a large version of mace. It's a pepper spray uh, that is in a, a canister that's pressurized. Uh, and bear spray, if it hits, uh, especially a grizzly in the face at close range, um, stuns the bear and will usually abort an attack. Uh, a couple things to remember about bear spray: uh, it obviously, if you're using it in the wind, it's going to come back on you. And as bad as it's going to be for the bear, it's going to be bad for you as well. So uh, you can actually be incapacitated from using bear spray if you're not careful the way you're directing it. Um, It's only effective at close range. You know, you're not going to spray bear spray at a uh, grizzly that's, uh, you know, 25 yards away from you. It's really when the bear is very, very close to you and, uh, uh, and an encounter is, uh, is likely. Um, and the final thing is my recommendations on bear spray uh, is I always have them in groups that I'm leading, um, but I, it's not really so necessary during the time of the actual hike. When you've got, uh, you know, five or six people walking together, uh, as we said before, they're not really going to be uh, at any great, risk uh, from bear. Uh, On the other hand, there are going to be situations where you're going to have to be by yourself and the classic example of that is when it's uh, time to relieve yourself. So if you're in bear country and you're in your tent and have to get up uh, in the night uh, or during the day to go out and relieve yourself, that's the time to bring bear spray along because the single person is the one who's much more likely to have a bad encounter. So when I set up our campsites in Alaska, we generally leave a little can of bear spray uh, right next to the trowel uh, by each uh, tent site so that when you get up in the night, you pick up the trowel, you pick up the bear spray, and head out.
0: Okay. What about other um, alleged safety gear like uh, knives and guns? Yeah, What's your thought uh, on those? I'm
1: a I'm a vegetarian and not a hunter, so I can't make any uh, definitive comments on on guns. Um, but I can certainly tell you that I have been told by hunters and by native Alaskans who spend a lot of time in grizzly country, uh, that most sidearms are not going to be adequate to, uh, to stop a, a grizzly. The, you know, a grizzly is a big animal, can weigh several hundred pounds, uh, uh really extremely, uh, vicious when it, uh, gets annoyed, uh, or, or frightened, uh, and the likelihood that a little sidearm is going to stop that animal, even assuming that you're able to uh, secure it and adequately fire it, um, is really pretty small. So the the type of uh, of weapon that one would need to truly stop a bear is more along the lines of what people who are actually out hunting bears would be carrying. And again, we're moving into an area that's uh, completely outside my area of expertise, so I don't want to say <laughs> too much more about too, that. I've uh, <laughs> I, uh, Suffice it to say, I've spent uh, plenty of time in grizzly country, and nobody in my group has ever carried a weapon.
0: Yeah. Um, I mean, my thoughts on that is I have no idea how to shoot a handgun, and not only would it be extra weight I don't want to carry when I'm walking around in the woods, um, it would take a lot of time to learn how to properly use it and become an adequate marksman. And I've got other interests that I want to do. I
1: I think that's a very good point. And, you know, one of those other interests should be uh, learning how to set up a camp and how to conduct yourself in bear country. And, you know, that's going to hold you in much better stead than uh, than learning anything about weapons. Uh, I, I, I should... You know, have an overarching thing about all of this, uh, one of the points that I make in talking with groups about bear safety is to keep in mind that um, although we worry about injuries to humans uh, when they come in contact with bears, um, it is absolutely correct that the most likely outcome of an encounter between a bear and a human uh, is going to be the death of the bear. Uh, And it doesn't mean that the bear may die just from coming into contact with you. But if a bear comes into contact with you and especially gets a food reward, then very quickly that bear is going to become habituated to humans, uh, is going to see humans and human campsites as a potential source of food, and it's going to start frequenting those areas. When that happens, the bear becomes a a problem bear, a nuisance bear, uh, and in most uh, uh, areas of the country uh, that bear will be either, captured and relocated or more likely shot and killed so the way I look at it when I'm traveling into grizzly country um, they've been there a lot longer than I have and I'm really a guest in their area Uh, and what I want to do is conduct myself in such a way obviously that I'm safe uh, but also that I avoid a contact with an animal that might ultimately result in that animal's death
0: yeah i encountered one nuisance bear during my time on the appalachian trail and uh you know the scenario was hiked it hiked about 10 miles and there's a sign saying you know such and such a shelter is closed until five miles beyond the shelter um there's a place you can camp so you know had basically it uh meant that either i had to stop there after hiking 10 miles or go another 10 miles and i decided okay i still early in the day and for me doing a 20 mile day that that's mm, tough that's quite a day, um, so i got to where i could camp um and you know went a little bit beyond that and one of my friends had set up her tent so we we camped together and we got up in the morning as we were eating breakfast this bear which i'm sure is the the nuisance bear from that uh thunder ridge shelter She looked up, and we saw this bear slowly approaching, and it was probably 15 feet away from her when she saw it, and uh, maybe 25 feet away from me. And, uh, you know, so we stood up, started clanking our poles and yelling at it, and then, of course, I quick grabbed a hold of my dog's leash, and he hadn't, because of the wind direction, he hadn't smelled the bear, but luckily he'll speak on command. So Mm -hmm. I gave him that command, and that that worked. Um, So I did hear from... I did ask the rangers afterwards, and they said, you know, one other thing you can do is you can have a recording of a dog barking or you can get an app with a dog barking, and you can play that. <laughs> if, you, mm-hmm. if you have the energy and time to think of getting your phone out, you could use a, a recording of a dog barking if you don't yeah. have an actual dog. Yeah. yeah. Well,
1: as I told you when we were preparing for this, uh, although I'm certainly a dog lover and I'm a wilderness lover, I've never combined those two loves, so I, I really have not had... Any experience taking bear into grizzly country? Um, I just think uh, my main advice there would be what you sound like you've already done: have a dog that's very well behaved.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think most people who are search and rescue handlers, and, you know, have the importance of you know teaching your dog to behave as well as paying attention to wind direction. Sure. Because that's one of the things that helps you plan your search. Um, now, there's a lot of myths and fallacies and false information about bears, and so I'm going to ask you about a couple of them. Uh, is it true that bears are attracted to menstrual fluid?
1: Yeah, that's a, that's a great question, and that's a, a perfect example of, uh, I guess the term today would be fake news, uh, but something that has persisted. Uh, the whole thing about uh, bear and menstrual blood uh, actually began with an incident uh, in um, Yellowstone on a, a day in the 1960s, an evening in the 1960s, where there were two separate attacks uh, in campsites in Yellowstone uh, in which two women in two different groups were killed by two different bears. So just a, uh, a, an amazing and tragic uh, uh, coincidence, really, <clears throat> in which uh, two people happened to be killed by different bears in different locations of the same park. Um, it turned out that uh, investigation showed uh, that these two women were menstruating, um, however, they were also in dirty campsites by dirty campsites i mean places with food. <coughs> there had been bear in this area before they they were basically violating every tenet of bear safety that we 've talked about for the past half hour or so I say violating not intentionally because frankly, in those days um, the safe bear practices were not as as widespread. But the point is, there were many, many reasons why these individuals were at risk of being attacked, uh, and the fact that they happened to be menstruating uh, was, as far as I'm concerned, just a coincidence. And yet, uh, I guess because it seemed so dramatic, that was actually the focus of most of the reporting of this. You know, two menstruating women were attacked by bear, uh, you know, while in their tent, uh, when in fact the headline could just as well have been, uh, campers in a dirty campsite with food strewn around were were attacked by a bear. Uh, but anyhow, this uh, uh, story about menstrual blood uh, took on a life of its own, uh, and there are still um, U.S. Forest Service materials Uh, that pretty much say, although there's no demonstrated risk, we recommend against menstruating women in bear country. Uh, I mean, it's kind of uh, typical of the uh, cover-your-butt approach that uh, (laughs) regulatory agencies uh, sometimes use. Um, That being said, it's it's actually very interesting, uh, and I I hope not to offend anyone on this podcast, but you brought the topic up. Uh, People have actually tried to study this, and one of the ways in which they have studied it, um, I believe this was done in an area in Montana that had quite a few grizzlies. They set some posts up in an area and put various potential attractants uh, on those posts, and measured the frequency with which bears went up to and were interested in, in those attractants. And one of the attractants were used tampons. Uh, and there was some interest of bears in used tampons. Uh, but the point of that is not that bears are attracted to menstruating women. They're attracted to used tampons. Uh, <laughs> so what this actually points out is that if you are traveling in bear country and you're menstruating, uh, you need to be very careful about the disposal of your sanitary devices. And basically, uh, they should be treated like garbage, uh, kept in the area of your campsite where you have the the food and garbage stored, uh, because there certainly may be some attraction uh, to the smell of that. uh, But certainly, there's nothing about a menstruating woman, per se, that is going to be attractive to a bear. What about... um
0: is it true that bears have
1: poor eyesight um yeah that's a that's a very interesting one um, as you may imagine it's uh probably almost impossible to test that you know how how would you test <laughs> the uh, eyesight of a of a bear um, I, I don't think there's any question that their hearing is probably better than their eyesight um, and in Certain areas uh, such as the tundra that's big and open, uh, there's probably more of a priority from an evolutionary standpoint on having good hearing and good smell than eyesight. Um, I've read conflicting things about that. Frankly, the thing that makes the most sense to me, uh, again, comes from David Smith's uh, book on bears, uh, that basically if you can see a bear, a bear can probably see you. So just make the assumption that the bear has the same eyesight that you do.
0: <clears throat> and does a bear growl if it's about to attack you?
1: Um, not necessarily. Uh, you know, the, the, and again, you have to <clears throat> realize that attacks can be uh, either predatory or defensive. And predatory attacks by bear are very unusual. But because predation is not something where there's any fear, uh, there's probably no noise or utterance that's going to come from a bear that's in the process of a predatory attack. Uh, On the other hand, a bear that's frightened uh, may make some vocalizations, uh, but I'll tell you in years of traveling Alaska where I've seen plenty of grizzly in the field, I've actually never heard them make a noise.
0: (laughs) (laughs) And are they territorial?
1: Yeah, they the they have huge territories. Um, you know, grizzlies can co- cover uh, you know, miles and miles and miles in the course of a day. Um, so the idea that they have a clear area that they set aside territorially uh is is probably not correct. There certainly is some overlap uh in the range that uh, that these animals have.
0: And you did mention Dave Smith's book, Backcountry Bear Basics, which I purchased after you talked about it, and I think it's a great book. Are there any other resources that you would recommend for my listeners?
1: You know, I I think that would be the the one that I would go to, the thing I would avoid, and I I actually, in preparation for this, just for the fun of it, I... uh, googled grizzlies and uh, you can imagine there's all kinds of crazy stuff that comes up on an (laughs) internet search. Um, I I think that the place to start if you're going to be traveling in bear country or if you just want a good read uh, is David Smith's book. As you know from reading it, um, he's a biologist but uh, also an outdoorsman who basically grew up in grizzly country and has loads and loads of experience and this is a very thoughtful book. It's literally a book that you can read in one evening. It's not terribly long Um, but it's all evidence-based, you know, very, very practical advice. And there are lots of references, if you choose to learn a little bit more about this, that you can follow up on. But um, I honestly can't think of a single resource uh, better than David Smith's Bear Basics as a good starting point for someone who's traveling into bear country.
0: Okay, well, thanks for talking to me. Maybe we can have you back sometime to talk in the future for another topic. Okay, well I enjoyed it and uh, good luck and happy trails. All right, I'm going to hit the end recording. Hello, it is Ryan and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic,
1: doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day, lol.